0: Sick with the slang. Sick and I'm for fame. Fame. for the fam, not for the you' for pain.
1: pain I do not, front. I do not scam. put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang.
0: Bang. Y'all gonna the name
1: What's up ladies and gentlemen boys and girls around the world I would like to welcome you back to the real talk with Zuby Podcast Now before we get into today's episode, I want to do a shout out to our sponsor Ground News. Now the people who sponsor this show It's important that if you guys are enjoying the show that you actually check them out and Ground News is really awesome. So make sure you download the app. I'm going to run this ad and tell you guys a little bit more about them. Today's sponsor is Ground News. Now if there's one thing that we can all agree on, it's that the media landscape is fundamentally broken. Both social media and the press are incentivized to exaggerate our differences and amplify division. A lot of people ask me where they should go for news that they can trust and I don't usually have a good answer for that. However, Ground News has taken a totally different approach in improving the broken media ecosystem. They're a news comparison platform, giving you the ability to compare how sources with different political biases are covering a certain story, so you can easily see if it's being spun to fit a political narrative. You can click on any article and see how balanced the coverage is. The blind spot feature allows you to see stories that are exclusively being covered by either the left or the right. This allows you to identify news that you may otherwise miss in your own bubble. Ground News is an apolitical platform. It's a place for moderates, conservatives, liberals, and the politically homeless. Try it for yourself today by downloading the free Ground News app on the App Store or Google Play Store. Just go on the store and search for Ground News. Highly recommend it. And we are back. So on today's episode, we've got on a man who I've been looking forward to having a conversation with for a long time. He is a classically trained actor. He is a veteran of Broadway. And this is the one and only Clifton Duncan. Welcome to the show, man.
2: Well, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. It's been a long time uh, coming.
1: No doubt, man. hundred um, percent. I think we started following each other sometime last year. Um, and we've been living in really interesting times. But for people who don't know you, tell them a little bit about who you are.
2: Oh, man. Well, uh, well, for one, I decided to wear my hat today because I didn't want to get anybody confused as to which one was which. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I've been acting since I was 16 years old. Uh, I went to a, one of the fancy schmancy acting conservatories that's on par with uh, with Juilliard and the Yale School of Drama, but really Juilliard because Yale yeah, is trash. <clears throat> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, especially for the past 10 uh, more 12 years now. I've been working on stage, on screen, uh, doing concerts, and I've been very, very fortunate to make my living as a performer, and it, and it took the pandemic actually to to force me to uh, to get a job job, but uh, within the past uh, year, when things all began to fall apart, uh, as Chinua Achebe would say, um, I, I I really just felt the need to uh, speak my mind, and what I had was I had my my public Twitter account. Then I had an anonymous Twitter account where I said what I really feel, and then after a while, I was like, I'm gonna just start saying, you know, w- what I think, and um, you know, it's it's uh, one of the funny ironies of my life because none of it makes sense at all anyway. That uh, my my biggest accomplishment as an actor is uh, is my Twitter account at, at the moment, but. Um, Since then, you know, I've been blessed to talk to a lot of people that I interact with and watch uh, online, uh, you know, all the time. And um, I've met uh, a bunch of really cool people. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I had a call with my manager a few weeks ago and I was like, look, I've become very outspoken. And I, I just I, I don't really feel like I belong in the industry anymore. And, uh, you know, we might get into why that is later. But, you know, it, basically, you know, so I won't. Go ranting with each passing day I, I feel more and more compelled to uh, say what's on my mind because I feel like one of the reasons that we're in the situation, the various situations that we're in now is because there's too many people who just sit back and they see things going wrong, but for self preservation or self interest they just they they don't say anything and they don't speak up and um, you know whatever small impact or whatever that, that I have the, the following that I've, I've gained, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting and and sort of a fun ride. But at this point, I feel like there are certain things that are more important than an acting career. (laughs) Mm. Mm. That's really interesting, bro. It echoes very
1: much how I was feeling in 2017, 2018, when I myself as a professional musician who previously would have certain conversations in private with people, friends, family, etc. But then I reached a stage where it felt like the world was getting so strange. And this is prior to anything that's happened in the past year and a half, of course. Um, It just felt like things were going so weird and so sideways. And as you said, a lot of it was happening because people were not having their voices heard. So early 2018, I myself started to use my Twitter account in particular to just just start sharing more of my wider thoughts. I mean, at this time, people don't understand this now because they see how many followers I have these days. But back in this time, I mean, in 2018, I had 13,000, 14,000 followers. Um, we're on track to hit 400,000 probably within the next couple of days now. And it's crazy how. Many people will start, I'm sure you're you're starting to see the same thing, right? You're probably getting DMs and emails, messages, comments from people saying, man, thank you for speaking out or man, I agree with you on so much, but I'm afraid to say this or I'm worried about that. So firstly, I just want to say, man, like respect for doing that because there are so many people who I think both you and I really, I think there's millions of people who
2: we're sort of representing and speaking for in a strange way. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I do get those messages and, um, and, you know, I am, I am sympathetic to an extent, but um, like I said, you know, more and more, I feel like it can't just be a a small number of people who keep taking the the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, so to speak. It, it had more. and, And I, and the reason, I think part of the reason, you know, people say that, well, you're so brave and you're so courageous for speaking up, and that's I don't. A I don't see I don't see it that way. But part of the reason that I don't see it that way is I just think so many people agree with us, you know. And I think even if I mean I, I I'm sure maybe similar to maybe you feel this way as well. But I think the sort of red blue left right dichotomy is. It's becoming really archaic and obsolete, and I think people are beginning to discover, um, because of this online kind of realm, um, that you know those things really don't matter as much. Yeah, there are certain wedge issues that people would, would disagree on, and, and they, you know, and and they maybe will agree to disagree. But I really think that we're more similar and we have more in common. Just as a just. As a society and as a human race, then we're led to believe, and so I don't view myself as particularly courageous because I I'm thinking to myself, well, a lot of people actually <laughs> actually see mm-hmm. uh, see what I see. You, you mentioned um, you tweeted this today, which I, was really. Resonated with me. By the way, I, I did uh, this is an unpaid advertisement, but I did check out your uh, your your program on how to grow your Twitter account. And, okay, uh, nice, awesome. <laughs> that may have helped me a little bit. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear. But you, you tweeted uh, something something strange is is going on, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, but it's yeah. very it's very unsettling to you, and I and I feel the same way. There's, it just there seems to be so many things at the same time that not only are going wrong but unnecessarily so mm-hmm. you know things 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 could be avoided if i don't know if we spoke to each other more or if we got off of um off of uh social media or we stopped watching the news i mean i was saying i was thinking about this just before we got on about the the film the matrix which is where the whole red pill blue pill um thing com- concept comes from and I said, but, you know, we're living in a reverse matrix right now, because right now the people that are living in the matrix, the, you know, who are, who are blue-pilled, they're the ones who are going insane. It's supposed to be the other way around, right, where it's like I'm living a blissful existence, you know, this the steak is a wonderful steak, I'm drinking wine, and everything is normal, and it's reality, that's the horror show, but mm. right now, <laughs> you know, it's the inverse, the matrix is the horror show, and I'm seeing friends of mine, maybe former friends of mine, I don't know now, between the unrest between the racial strife uh, uh, the pandemic i feel like i'm watching so many people around me that i've known for a long time and that i know to be otherwise intelligent and um, compassionate people mm-hmm. who are just becoming deranged they're be- they're going crazy they're they're losing their sense of of normalcy they they're they're neurotic they're anxious they're angry and it's a painful thing to watch. Meanwhile, I'm out here on the outside of that kind of looking in thinking to myself, yeah, you know, the world is messed up, but that's sort of because life is messed up in many ways. And the more that you're able to recognize that the more at peace, it kind of, kind of makes you, but I'm watching everyone else who's inside this matrix and I'm like, no, things are actually better out here. You know, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's, that's sort of what I feel like right now.
1: Yeah, you're right, man. There's a lot there. Um, the first thing is I think that almost everything and this even is historical a lot of bad things that happen in society stem from dishonesty
0: mm-hmm. right
1: just people people being unwilling to tell the truth people knowing the truth or people knowing that something is going on but being afraid for various reasons I'm afraid of losing my job I'm afraid of being punished I'm afraid of being kicked off social media I'm afraid of being I'm afraid of cancel culture I'm afraid right People are fearful to just tell the truth. And this goes for people in the media. This goes for people in the medical world, in the scientific world right now. This goes for people in the entertainment world. Everybody is, there's just this weird sort of dark cloud of mistruth that's floating around. And it's it's been happening for many, many years. And I think that it's also been combined, as you said, with very divisive narratives. So everything is about division right now it's red and blue black versus white men versus women straight versus lgbt um cis i don't use that word cis (laughs) versus trans um now you have masks versus anti-mask anti maskers that's not a word anti-mask is not a word but now it's pro-mask versus anti-mask pro uh vaccine versus and again most people aren't even anti-vaccine but it's all being all these false dichotomies are being um, painted. It's funny, back in 2019, when I was on the Joe Rogan experience, I said, we're living in a time where gender is a spectrum and politics is binary, which sort Mm -hmm. of alludes to what you were saying earlier. So when it comes to, you know, someone's gender or sexuality, it's like, oh, wow. Oh, no, you can be anything, right? It's no longer boys and girls, men and women. You can be whatever the heck you want. But when it comes to the stuff that actually is not binary, where there's nuance and where people are really individualistic and different, it's just like either you are all the way here or you're all the way there. And it's weird. This, this sort of fake division and false dichotomy has been created where if you're not for this thing, if you're not a hundred percent for it, you must be a hundred percent against it. And if you think this way, you must think this way because. You are a bad person and you're evil and you're malicious. It can't just be, you know, if you voted for Trump, it's because you are racist and you're a white supremacist. It's not possible. It could be for all of the other thousands of possible reasons. It's just that. If you don't support this thing, it's because you're this. And it's happening on so many levels. And then you've got social media. You've had people locked in their houses, um, which exacerbates everything. Everyone's just pent up angry. And yeah, it's a... It's a weird time. You know, the government's up to all sorts of weird stuff and it's happening in every country. That's the scary part is that it's not like, oh, okay, the UK is being weird. It's like, no, the UK is being weird. Canada is being weird. The USA is being weird. The whole of Europe is being weird. Everything is just really bizarre. And it just creates this feeling of, I mean, it's been happening for, it's been building up for many years. And, but I think right now it's just like, man. Uh, every day I'm feeling like I'm living in some c- hybrid between Black Mirror and
2: South Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, <clears throat> it's weird. I, mean, I wish I was the first person to make uh, this point, but things are so um, topsy-turvy right now that you currently have creationists who don't accept the theory of evolution, but <laughs> you understand gender dimorphism, sexual dimorphism. But then you have secularists who ostensibly do accept the theory of evolution, and yet they reject sexual dimorphism, which to me kind of indicates that no actually you <laughs> don't believe in evolution. And uh, it's, it, that, that's how backwards and, and sort of upside down things feel right now. And, mm. you know, I think that we're at a place, even if it comes to some of the, the gender and queer stuff, I think a lot of people are like, even if they think it's kind of weird. They don't want to have anything to do with it. I I really feel like most people are live and let live. There are a few a holes out there who will go out of their way to bully and harass these people. And of course, you know, nobody deserves that kind of treatment, Mm -hmm. but they've become such intense issues. And and it seems like it's crept into every, every single facet and nook and cranny of society. And I don't know if it's just being on Twitter all the time. But you see these, uh, these education systems that are that are imbibing on these ideas about race and about Mm -hmm. gender. You see, it's all over entertainment, you can't watch a football game or or watch a McDonald's commercial. I mean, McDonald's right now, I think I saw that they're they're advertising about uh, about vaccines right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's really no escape. And just going off of what you said about you're either for it or you're against it. I remember this was right after um, um, Trump got elected. And, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm one of those, uh, quote unquote, milk toast fence sitters. But <laughs> but even when Obama was elected, you know, my my mother kind of brought things down to earth because when he was elected, I you know, and I voted for him, I called my grandmother, who was still alive at the time. You know, she was born in 1936 and she's seen a lot. You know, mm. she was a kind of woman she slept with a she slept with a revolver and two boxes of bullets <laughs> in the cupboard behind her pillow. You know, she had all these locks on her door. She lived yeah. uh, in the East Bay in California, Northern California. And then one of the last times I saw her, I was like, Oma, why you, why do you have so many locks on the door? So she was like, by the time they get in here, I'll be ready for them. That's the kind of woman she was. And I'm told I take after her. So, you know, she she uh, shot her mouth off a lot. But I uh, did I get off on that tangent. But uh it, it, but so, but it was a very emotional experience for me. And, you know, I was in New York City at the time. And, I mean, people were screaming in the streets mm-hmm. when he was elected. You were on the subway. People were celebrating. All these strangers, you know. It's one of the magical things about New York is that even though we spend a lot of time ignoring each other, um, there is a lot of humanity as well. And you have these great moments with strangers. That's gone now. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> it, it's it's an amazing place. But the point is, my mother was like... Well, he's not going to solve my problems, and that yeah. kind of put things into perspective for me. So then, when Trump was elected, I was doing a show in Connecticut at the time, and you know, I'm ensconced in this artistic bubble. But at, but by that point, I was already uh, more in this space than in the matrix, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I'm I'm seeing all of these adults who are losing their minds. They they're completely uh lost the plot as they as they might say yeah and uh i remember we went to a a gathering at the artistic director's house basically the person that runs the theater that the big boss of the theater and you know it's a beautiful house as it always is and everyone is just sulking and they're just moping and i just i don't know where this country is going i just i i don't know i'm really scared right now and i'm the only guy that's there that's like I think we'll be okay. <laughs> you know, I think we're gonna be all right. It's not that bad. Yeah. You know, but I, I guess I'm just you know, even my brother was talking about how he thought that I mean, and we disagree politically on things, but he was like, Yeah, I feel like it's an overreaction right now. So I, I don't know what it's been since his election, and then on top of that, everything going on with COVID and the pandemic. Um I go back to this idea that people are becoming really deranged right now and it feels very deliberate. And that, That's what's mm-hmm. also disturbing to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, I mean, I, I look at these, uh, these media organizations, right before we got on, there was a story that was covered by, um, I think his name is Sagar Enjedi, I hope I'm saying his name right, uh, of uh, this program called The Rising Sun. And there was a story uh, that came out of Politico where essentially the White House is curating and journalists who work with the White House, the Biden administration are are allowing their work to be curated and edited by the the White House before they send it out to the public. So I'm thinking to myself, this is state media. This is propaganda. Mm. They are controlling the narrative. They're controlling the message. And even just the other day, and they lie so blatantly, just like the other day, when there was a tweet by the New York Times uh, about the gas shortage, and you know, there's no, uh, there's no long lines, there's not a, a spike in in prices. I'm like, I live right near a gas station. I see the prices every day. In Georgia, the gas tends to be cheaper than in other parts of the country, but it's jumped like 30 or 40 cents per gallon. Mm. We see these videos online of all these cars lining up trying to get gas. You see, uh, uh, uh journalists. This a woman named Katie Herzog, uh, who's, who I find you know, fascinating and really funny. And she was like, I called 10 different gas stations and they each told me. Some of them even laughed at me. They each told me that they're out of gas. And yet here's the New York Times, the paper of record, all mm-hmm. the news that's fit to print. This Pulitzer Prize winning organization straight up lying and saying nothing is going on. Nothing is going on. And, you know, I keep playing in my head every day when Biden won. And people drinking champagne and dancing in the streets, and I contrast that with all the things now that seem to be falling apart. And I think to myself, "You people don't know anything, but you think you know everything." And you look at people like me as if I'm ignorant, but you're the one who's just like, "Hey, everything—it's—it's the—it's the—the—the—the uh, uh, the, the dog, you know—the classic meme. Every this is fine. I'm, everything <laughs> is all right. I'm Just coffee, yeah. and." But the, a deeper problem is that you can't you can't get through to these people. You try to talk to them and there's I don't know what what else to say. And I think that's what is disturbing me the most or bothering me and frustrating me the most right now. I don't know how to communicate with these people.
1: Yeah, it's really hard because I feel like I've used this phrase before, but it, it's like there's a war on reality right now. Yeah. On multiple fronts. Right. With the pandemic, there's a war on reality with this whole gender theory stuff, there's a war on reality, Biden admin, Trump admin, all these different things. There's a war on reality. And people are offended by facts. People are offended by statistics. And everything is just being run on emotion. That's what it is. It's just emotion, emotion. And And there's a purpose for emotion, right? You know, human beings shouldn't just be purely cold, calculating automatons, right? We, We don't want that. We're both, we're both artists. We know that. Yeah. But if you're talking about serious decisions, whether they are uh, medical or political or about society and culture and, you know, c- crime, right? You've got people running around in the States pushing abolish the police, right? I mean, what a dumb idea. What a, st- <laughs> you, you know, just like, uh, I, I mean, two years ago, nobody was saying that, no, right? No one would have even entertained that idea two years. And now all of a sudden you have people, prominent people pushing, abolish the police. And they're claiming you want to do this to save black lives. And I mean, why did the crime rates go up last year? It's because police stepped away in certain major cities because they were tired of all the nonsense and they're tired of catching flack for everything. And what happens? Assault goes up. Rape goes up. Robbery goes up. Homicide goes up. Et it's, not, it's not rocket science. And, so, who are,
2: and who are the primary victims of these of these increases in violent crime? It's, it's minorities. It's people that look like us, but they yeah. never acknowledge that. No, and they don't acknowledge
1: that in most of these communities, the the police officers are also minorities. Well, in this case, they're the majority in those particular cities, right? If you go to a city where there's a large black or Latino population in the USA, then there's going to generally be a lot of black Latino police officers, etc. And it's so strange. It's just like everything is Emotion, emotion, emotion. And, you know, I'm not a particularly hyper-emotional person, so maybe that's why I find this whole thing extra strange. But it just seems really dangerous to be, you know, I think it's dangerous to make emotional decisions when you should be functioning in a rational capacity. And once in a while, it's also dangerous to make purely rational decisions when emotions are involved i think the former is probably i can think of more situations where that's like literally potentially literally deadly i'm not saying deadly as an exaggeration i mean actually deadly people's lives are at stake in certain situations if you want to remove the police from okay baltimore chicago LA, just get rid of the police scrap the police right what is gonna happen who's gonna be popping the champagne the criminals the gangs that they're, they're gonna within within weeks that place will be a complete it'll be looking like fallujah i mean it, and when you have these celebrities and these blue blue check marks on twitter who are there defund the police abolish the police what and it's you they're sitting there in their in their mansions in some cases and they've got their armed security and they've got all that and i'm just like how is anyone like i'm not taking you seriously but how is anyone watching this and cheering for this and you know you had the blm riots last year protests and riots but again you're watching businesses again often owned by minorities being looted being burnt to the ground you're seeing black people getting shot getting right more people died in the protests and the riot by several times by several orders of magnitude compared to the one person who sparked it right everyone agreed George, George Floyd's death everyone agreed conservative liberal whatever everyone agreed police officers everyone was like that shouldn't have happened But then as a result, you go out and cause billions of dollars of damage and, you know, harm people who had nothing to do with it. And then people are like, oh, but people, Zuby, you have to understand people were angry. And I'm like, bro, that is not, (laughs) that's not a reason. Like I get angry too. But when I get angry, I can't just, I can't just go and start rioting and looting and burning cars and and hurting people because I'm angry. That doesn't go down in court. Uh, Sorry, judge. I I was angry.
2: You know, it's crazy to me. (laughs) Had a bad day, bro. I mean, but but here's what's here's what's really sinister to me about it. It's that these people that we're talking about who. I mean, you know, I mean, Colin Kaepernick, he announced on Twitter yesterday. I don't know if you saw that, but this initiative to abolish the police, you know, yes. this is a, this is this mediocre third string quarterback. Um, <laughs> sorry, who has millions of dollars, millions of dollars. We know he's going to be fine no matter what. But what. What happens is people push these ideas and all that really benefits is this top percentile of people who will be spared the consequences of their advocacy. And it actually goes beyond race. It's more about a class thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. Oprah Winfrey or LeBron James or Colin Kaepernick, uh, they're going to be fine no matter what. These people who are ironically held up by the very white power establishment that they seem to want to take down, i.e. Ibram Kendi, whose book I'm reading right now, it's it's garbage or (laughs) Jones, you know, with her Pulitzer Prizes. These people who end up with hosting gigs like Joy Reid on MSNBC, they're going to be protected and cocooned from all these things. But what they do is that they're able to get these they're, they're able to score these points with with their. Their audience, or they're, they're able to get off their activist uh, jollies by exploiting the grievances and the aspirations of the poor, mm. and by people exploiting the people who are born into bad circumstances. And my philosophy is that you can never blame somebody, rich or poor, for the circumstances that they're born into. They didn't choose these things. And, um, but When you hear people like a LeBron James or a Joy Reid or Nicole Hannah Jones or a Charles Blow or a Toure, you know any of these people spouting, you know, Corey Bush the Squad spouting this rhetoric, and this is why I get deeply concerned because it actually goes outside of the realm of politics because you're Mm -hmm. talking about at least in America, generations now of these ideas that have been pumped through our music, our stand-up comedians, the sitcoms that we watch this idea of struggle within the black community, this idea of oppression, this, this mindset of victimization, it's, it's ingrained very deeply. Even people who aren't politically engaged, they still have this idea of, about themselves as, you know, this is America. It's a racist country built on slavery. I mean, there's a kernel of truth and in, in all this stuff, which is why mm-hmm. it's even more effective. Um, and, you know, white supremacy is this, it's like the force it, it guides, it moves everything around us. Yes. And, uh, it, even even beyond um even people who aren't politically engaged and 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 sort of in the muck um or as interested in these kinds of things as, as we are they still have these ideas and mm-hmm. you know what i try to explain to people is um it you know i'm trying to figure out a way to communicate it without sounding as like i'm some sort of conspiracy theorist but if you if you look at uh, a Don Lemon, you know who, who. How many people end up becoming tenured university professors? How many people end up becoming famous athletes, uh, pundits, journalists, well-known writers, uh, politicians, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? So you have this small cluster of people who have this disproportionately large influence over the culture and over the cultural conversation, and um, I think because of that they 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 maybe think that they are more that their ideas are more popular than they are but but they're reaching a lot of people and people who just don't know better and mm-hmm. i mean there's a guy oh, i wish i could remember his last name but a uh, barrington he he tweeted out uh, a very <laughs> a very provocative tweet about um two parent families uh you know during slavery which which thomas Sowell has written about mm-hmm. um extensively and the the backlash that he got was so intense and it was, you know, it was very emotional. It was very, you know, it, it's not that he was condoning slavery because no reasonable, rational uh, rational person does, but the mm-hmm. question underneath that is if, how is it that these, there were more black children being born to two parent home. I believe this is the crux of the, of yeah. the point when, when it like, was illegal. When when there was more oppression, deliberate Mm -hmm. segregation and oppression, why were black families more intact during this period than after the civil rights struggles when blacks attained more freedom and now the family is is so disintegrated and, you know, in my opinion is that my philosophy is that, okay, look, if things are so dire as you're saying they are, then wouldn't you be, shouldn't you be welcoming all kinds of perspectives to solve the problem? And the, the number of people who either don't know who someone like Thomas Sowell is, or they do know, and they say, well, you know, F him, you know, he, he's an uncle Tom and he doesn't believe in this. He doesn't believe in that. And it's clear that they never even have engaged with what he's written. You know, I mean, the guy is 90 years old, still makes, still writing books. Yep. And, um, it's that people, this idea of, of struggle, this idea of victimization, this idea that we are aggrieved and we are owed something and we and we want revenge. I mean, I keep telling my my uh, my white progressive friends who have drunk the Kool-Aid and, you know, they, they genuflect all they can to try and um, show that they're good whites. Mm. I'm like, there's nothing you can do. You, you have to understand that these people hate you. They don't want equality. They want revenge, but they don't really get that yet. They, they might soon. I don't know. And um, but the broader point is that there is this clinging to, even if they're not politically engaged, even if they, they, they don't really, you know, know what critical race theory is or postmodernism or Marxism, they, even if they don't know what these ideas are, mm-hmm. they still cling to these very tightly to these ideas of you know oppression and victimization, and that that's where I become very concerned. And you know, I go back to what I was saying before about I don't know how to communicate with these people because my philosophy is you know what you believe about yourself is what your world will be and the, the change has to begin up here and it has to begin in here and i'm i'm not really one to beg for white validation and, ex- and acceptance because I, I really i really feel like that's what a lot of this is it's this weaponization mm-hmm. of uh of black insecurity and yeah. um you know and and it's just this this Huge, huge push to gain white acceptance. And I'm like, how can you not see how disempowering that is? How can you not see how weak that makes you? 100%.
1: Do you know what's extra interesting about it? The whole concept of this sort of white acceptance is that 90% plus of white people have already accepted you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's this whole notion. And, you know, I'll talk on something like this and people will be like, oh, Zubi, you can't speak on this because you're not, you're not American. And, you know, it's, it's it's totally different. But look, I've been to America many times. I've spent a good amount of time out there. I've actually traveled more of America than most Americans probably have. And I've got, you know, I interact with so many people. And this notion that white people in general or white police off of that, that, white people are just out there as as like it's 1920 trying to harm black people or like just attack them and keep them down and this is like i don't i don't know your experience in the acting world but my, my my career and my experience would suggest quite strongly the the opposite right and look in any situation any color any demographic any group of people you're gonna have a handful of bad people right that's just how it goes there's great white people. There's terrible white people. There's great black people. There's terrible black people. They're, they're any demographic, we we all know this, right? And if you exist in the real world and you interact with people in the real world, you know this. Otherwise, how would cities work? How would a city like New York or Atlanta even work if white and black people were really, truly at each other's throats all the time? These cities wouldn't even work. It would just be chaos. You'd be going out every day and people, are, but then you, you you interact in the real world and cool. <laughs> people are friends. People are friendly. People are polite. People are cordial, et cetera. So it's almost like there's the there's the real reality, and then there's this sort of made up reality in certain people's heads. When I'm seeing LeBron James tweeting, you know, black people are afraid. Black Americans are terrified. Every time we go outside, we're afraid that the. And I'm like, bro, I do not, I do not need to be a black American to know that this is utter BS, right? This is BS, and most black Americans do not feel this way, right? Michelle Obama talking about on a podcast how you know, every time she goes outside, she's afraid of what's good. I'm like, come (laughs) on, you you, you have Michelle Obama, Obama? (laughs) Michelle Obama, you you, for the rest of your life, you are you have dedicated secret service to protect you. You are the former first lady. I'm just like, stop. Like Oprah, you're, you're worth $2 billion. And you're here, you know, discussing with Meghan Markle about your I'm just like,
2: Oh, see, that, please that's, stop that's that's what's so sinister to me about it because because <laughs> you see these people who are are examples of what is possible i mean michelle yes. obama if i'm if i remember correctly she came from a, a rough a rough background you know west side of chicago or whatever it is and now she is who she is oprah winfrey came from less than nothing yes. and she made herself into one of the most powerful women in the world people mm. in the world you know and it it just just to go back a little bit, you know, you, you said I've been thinking about this idea of this constructed reality. And that's that's sort of what it is. Mm-hmm. These people. I said, you think about the life of and, you know, I'm, I'm going to confine it again to, I, I guess, uh, to to blacks. But if I think about the typical life of, say, a black teenager, they wake up, they go to school or if they're in the red state <clears throat> and they, you know, the, their teachers are telling them this about race in America. Then they listen to their favorite pop stars or whatever, and they're saying the same thing about race in America or how, however America is. They check their Twitter, they check their social media or whatever, and there's yet more messaging about you know w- w- America and racism and whatever that is whatever that is. Then they go home. You know their parents might be might be watching the news or they want or they you know ingest the news themselves. And again, it's the same narrative. And yet, like like you said, once you begin to deal with people in the real world. Um, just like anywhere else, there's going to be tensions and some people are going to be great. Some people are going to be not so great. And there are going to be some people Mm -hmm. who aren't going to accept you because of the color of your skin. And that that's a reality of life that, you know, and it could be any number of things, you know, our, our innate tribalism or whatever. But the question is, are you going to allow that to deter you from becoming a successful individual and being a happy individual? And I say that as somebody who, um, you asked me what my journey was, you know, I used to believe in all this stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I totally used to have all that in my, in my head about, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm six, three. And so it's like, you know, I'm, I'm this intimidating presence and people are scared of me and white people. They just, they just don't understand me. You know, I just walking around with all this, with this armor on this resentment, this anger and, um, feeling as though I can't really be myself. I remember Questlove wrote a, um, the, the drummer for the roots. He wrote mm-hmm. this, op and i want to say it was vulture or something like that about you know quest loves a big dude but he he's someone who feels like he can't be himself because he's so big and because he you know he's so black and um and you know i have compassion for that because that's how i spent i say the first two-thirds of my life uh, feeling and then i hit a point i had sort of a, a few moments where um, you know I'm not going to get into details but I realized that I was the person who was putting up this armor and that when I stopped presuming that other people did not want to interact with me my life improved and really my, my work improved a lot as well and um, you know I know I said before about you know it shouldn't be about white acceptance but the funny thing is you know I I, I went from somebody who just presumed, you know, man, these white people, man, they don't understand me, bro. Like they don't they don't get it, man. They see a black man coming, they, they feel like this. But yeah, I went to that person who I became that person who I'd be in New York and you see like the you know old touristy couples who don't you know who barely speak English, you know, excuse me, how do you get to yada yada yada? Or I'd be I'd be sitting at a theater waiting for it waiting for a show to begin and people would strike up a conversation, you know. And I remember I had an ex-girlfriend, uh uh who enraged me at a certain point because she said, well, you know, Clifton, not everyone is out to get you. Mm. And at that point I I was like, man, you don't get it, man. You don't understand (laughs) what the world is like for a black man, like me. And, but once, you know, and she taught me a lot of just about being more open, being more sociable, being a little Mm. bit more extroverted. And again, this idea of what you believe about yourself is what your world will be. That really turned things around for me to the point where it's like, it's not that I'm naive about racism. It's not that I'm naive that people are going to, you know, might judge me because of the color of my skin, Mm -hmm. usually progressives. Um, it's, (laughs) (laughs) I know that one. Yeah. My, my life is so much more. I mean, it's not easy, but it's, it's, I am more at ease and more at peace with myself and, and with the world. And, um, and going back a little bit, you know, just being in the artistic world, you know, right now, I mean, anti-racism, which, like I said, I'm reading Kendi's book right now, and and it's and it's it's filled with all of this flawed, fallacious thinking, and all these presumptions about white people and about mm-hmm. the world, and um, but it's taking the entertainment industry by storm right now, and I'm thinking to myself, and and, and what I, what I become resentful about is that this idea. And I, was, I had a conversation with a very well-known composer just the other day who said, well, historic, you know, older white men, well, historically uh, minorities have been kept out. And I'm, and I'm like, I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been getting support for, from, from everybody mm-hmm. from the time I was 19 years old, white, black, everyone told me it's one of the reasons I kept going you know, a lot of people get discouraged from, I mean, Julia Roberts was told she would never be a star. John Hamm of Mad Men was told he would never be the, you know, carry a television series. People have been telling me, like, if you work hard, you know, you really got something and you, you, you're really gifted and you should keep going. I have never, ever been excluded, uh, in in any point of my end uh, of of my career. And Mm. I've, a list of credits, you know in a variety of roles and a in a variety of genres that I'm very, very proud of, but nobody is patting me on the back. Nobody's coming and and calling me some kind of brown groundbreaking uh, performer for all the things that I've done. I'm completely excluded right now, even though the industry is saying like, well, we want to be more inclusive, but mm. I don't fit the narrative so. They 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 don't they don't really care about people like me. These same people who talk about uh I mean one of the one of the tenets of this anti-racism cult is that you can never uh question a a a person of color, their their lived experience, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what if your lived experience is that well, things have been kind of nice for me and people no, are they don't, be generally well. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that they hear it and, and they they ignore it. And so I have
1: a theory. What's that? Maybe that's the real systemic racism elaborate think about that one man maybe the real systemic racism is indoctrinating black people with this mentality and attacking them when they step outside of it attacking them when they don't Mm. vote the way you want attacking them when they don't play the victim attacking them when they are trying to encourage people to see each other as equals or to be more so-called colorblind etc what do you get called you get you know that you know the names People get called, you know how people get put back in check, right? It's yeah, okay yeah. for, there's no there's no other race where you're supposed to vote for a certain party or vote a certain way just because you have that skin color. And if you don't do it, you're going to be absolutely demonized by both people within your race and people, you know, outside it. I'm using these terms in quotes because to me, race isn't really, a, it's not really a thing. Um, but, you know, to me, or what about in the music world? Okay, so in music, if you're black, they want you either to be they want you either to be a gangster and a thug stereotype, right? Mm-hmm. They want that stereotype or they want you to play the woke victimhood narrative, right? It's one or the other. So it, even if even if you're successful, even if you're Oprah level, even if you're a Michelle Obama level it, or in entertainment whatever, you they still want they still have these stereotypes. And these caricatures, and if you don't fit them, what are they going to call you? They're going to call you a racial slur, or they're going to say, oh, you're, he's, he's corny, or he's not real, or he's this, or he's that, or whatever. And it's like, hmm, that's interesting, right? Or in music, okay? You can rap about killing N-words all day long. You can rap mm-hmm. about robbing N-words, killing N-words, shooting N-words, etc. right? Imagine if there was a white rapper who explicitly rapped about killing white people. Imagine if there was a Chinese rapper or a Jewish rapper explicitly talking about killing, harming uh, uh, Jewish people, uh, Asian people. It's the, people would freak out. Meanwhile, black rappers are making songs which sound like they could be KKK anthems, and people think that's fine. That's normal. That's cool. That's hip. We'll rock to that in the club. We'll play this on the radio, etc. You're not getting on the radio with this. You can get on the radio with a song talking about murdering all kinds of black people. You cannot get on the radio with a song talking about killing people of any other race. And that's been totally normalized over the course of decades. So that's what I say. Hmm, maybe that's the real systemic racism. The fact that people have been black people are supposed to fit in this little box where you're supposed to just be, you're supposed to accept the victimhood narrative. You're supposed to accept all these other racism narratives. You're supposed to expect, accept certain thoughts about black people, about white people, um, even including holding people not to the same standard. Right. Mm-hmm. There's this there's this overarching thing in society as well. You see, see it here in the UK, but I think it's worse in America where the expectations, you know, th- that was one great thing that George W. Bush said, that whole bigotry of low expectations. That was a great concept. Right. This whole idea that the bar and what's considered acceptable behavior for black people, yeah, we can put it a bit lower than for everyone else. It doesn't matter if you're talking about academia, if you're talking about Career success. If you're talking about actual behavior, criminal behavior, right? It's it's like oh well, you know, there's always an excuse for it, right? A black person will kill another black person, and they'll still find a way to blame white supremacy. A black person will kill an Asian person; they'll blame it on white supremacy. Uh, like whatever it is, it's like they have these conclusions, and no one can ever just be like, hmm, actually, maybe there's a there's some agency here, and there's some personal responsibility here. And I've had this argument with. You know, especially progressives, even white progressives, where no matter what, they blame everything on racism. I'm like, well, no, like they blame it all on white people on a racism. And I'm like, look, at what point do black people have agency, right? I am a black man. You are a black man. I have agency. I control my behaviors. I control what I do. If I go out and I do something ridiculous and someone is trying to, ex- ex- and someone's trying to excuse it, by oh well you know he's black so that's you know it was the white person's fault somehow he's the vic- he's the victim of a system and you know if it weren't for the system and the structures and the institutions he wouldn't have done that and it's just like come on man like this bigotry of low expectations and then these um you know this this bullying and coercion of you must think like this you must believe this etc i i i'm having this theory I'm i'm sort of Expanding on it here, but I'm thinking, man, maybe that is the I don't generally like the term systemic racism, but I'm like, man, that's actually that is actually a system which has been designed over the course of many, many decades to keep black people in a certain place and also to keep black people angry. Right. Just angry. They want black people to be angry all the time. You can't just be happy and content and getting on with people or whatever. It's like, no, you're supposed to be angry. You're and, supposed to always be fighting.
2: And this is the this is an epiphany that I had. It was actually the um, actually the night before Trump's election. I was walking around, uh, you know, this uh, this apartment that I was staying in and uh, <laughs> I, was, I was a little stoned. I'm not going to lie. But <laughs> I had this epiphany where I said, you know what? exactly what you just said if you are a a happy self-confident self-possessed self-assured black person especially a black man the democrats you know the if you want to call it the left or whatever they have absolutely no use for you even contempt for you Mm -hmm. and just going back on what you you were saying there which was a lot you know i i what popped into my head was this idea that the 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 modern day slavers realize they no longer need shackles and chains. They just use ideology. Mm. And it, it, it's and again, that's what that's what becomes very sinister about it, because they frame it in a way that it's actually empowering, that it's good for for black Americans. I'm saying, you know, I'm specifying but black Americans to see themselves in this way, to see themselves as less than. And that's mm. that's why I, that's what I want people to get out of, you know, I, I, I don't want them to see themselves as less and less than I want them to understand. Like we, you know, we are people who, who came, we started at the bottom. Now we are here, you know yeah, what I mean? We, yeah. had, we had, we had a president, bro. Yeah. We had a president. And that that's such an amazing historical transformation and turnaround. And I, I think to myself just through the ages from, you know, you have writers like, like Ralph Ellison, um, Or Langston Hughes or James Baldwin to performers I mean I feel like I stand on the shoulders of people like Harry Belafonte who I met uh Sidney Poitier Sammy Davis Jr. uh, Paul Robeson even though he was a dirty commie um these people (laughs) you know they these people they 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 did so they did so much and they achieved so much and they, they they blazed the trail for people like me but now we're in a we're in an era where you have guys like uh Mark Lamont Hill who are referring to to um Civil rights icons like Jim Brown. I mean, this guy was an activist. This guy was a a star athlete. He was a he was a sex symbol movie star, you know, during during the 1970s. He was referred to as a mediocre Negro by Mark Lamont Hill for having the temerity to go to meet Donald Trump. To try to figure out. Oh, you know, I remember that. I remember that. happened with the black community, or you see what happened to Ice Cube? Ice I mean, Cube, yeah. Ice Cube was in a group called N Words with Attitude. Yeah. Or Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne came up from the Projects. He came up from. I mean, I remember I was, you know, we're about the same age. I remember when I was a kid, and he was. I'm like, who's this little thirteen year old rapping with all these like grown dudes? Mm-hmm. But as soon as both of these men went to Trump's White Con- House, Kanye you know Kanye West well that, that's kind of a different thing but <laughs> let's, let's, let's focus on let's okay, focus okay. on Ice Cube. <laughs> Ice Cube and and uh, and, uh, and Lil Wayne but I mean these guys I mean they they came they came from nothing and they and they also rode on the back of this incredible when people say that no one's listening to black people I get so offended because you know this as a hip hop artist hip hop you can you can go online right now and find videos of people battle rapping in Bogota and Australia and Canada I mean hip hop has taken the world by storm and it's just yet another, another avenue that, that uh, black and brown people have used to get, you know, get our voices out there. And and we've shifted the culture in in so many ways, but that's beside the point. As soon as these men went to the white house, then all of a sudden, I mean, there was, people were talking about how Lil Wayne wants so badly to be white. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you talking about, bro? Or they, you know, they're, 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 they're dumping all over ice cube. I'm like, dude is, this is ice cube, bro. This is F the police ice cube, man are you kidding me right now? Mm. And so, you know, it's, that, that, that's, that's where I feel like, uh, you know, it's so, it's so sinister. And, 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 you know, I went to, I was looking for some inspiration um, just for, just to, to write something. So I I went and searched, uh, you know, the top 20 trap songs of, of 2020 and, it, I honestly, got, I really I couldn't get through the whole uh, the whole uh, <laughs> montage because I was just so I was so depressed, bro. I mean, I'm serious because I said this is what this is what it's come down to now. I remember mm-hmm. in the early 90s, we had all you know, we had all these different groups from, you know, a tribe called Quest to Wu Tang. We had N.W.A. Snoop, Dr. Dre. Uh, uh, you know, Jay Z put out "Reasonable Doubt" in '96. I think uh, Common uh, put out "Resurrection," and then one day it'll all make sense. Nas put out "Illmatic" in like '93. Mm-hmm. Um, the Roots had their first albums dropping around that time. Uh, Eminem would burst onto the scene um, in, in in the mid to late '90s. Busta Rhymes, all these people, and they were at the same time. You yeah. know, Salt and Pepper, MC Light, even you know, MC Hammer, even Vanilla Ice. You know, there were all these <laughs> things happening all at the same time, and everyone was listening to it. Mm-hmm. there was so much variety and there was so much substance and there was so much that they had to say, but now, you know, and this gets into something deeper that I've been thinking about lately is that, um, you know, now it's just the, the, the craft, you know, as far as just actual rapping, the technicality of it, um, you know, in terms of delivery, you know, how you're structuring verses, the the, the multi-syllabic rhyme patterns, how you, how your, your delivery, all that stuff. It's, It's now it is now getting so lazy it's just it's there's something about it that's just it's lost in the musical variety and and the musicals. I mean, you know, people like DJ Premier, Pete Rock, uh, uh, Dr. Dre Timbaland, you know, the Neptunes had all this musicality within themselves. But now it's just, you know, all this. I'm just listening to it. I'm like, maybe I'm just an old fuddy duddy, but (laughs) it feels like something has been or or the roots. These guys are geniuses, right? Mm -hmm. Real musicians, you know, musicians, they're geniuses. They can play anything. They can do anything. But I listen to this this trap uh you know music. <laughs> that is an old man. I listen to this, this uh trap music on the internet. <laughs> and um it just it's so it's so devoid of meaning, it's so devoid mm. of anything. And this is what I've been thinking about, you know. I kick it to you, is, is that you know, and I, I'm somebody who, you know, I'm I'm not as staunchly atheistic as I was 10 years ago, but I still am. But at the same time, when I when I listen to conservatives talk about the god-shaped hole or the uh, the the absence of of religion or something to believe in i think to myself you know and and also within the context of everything falling apart right now i think mm. th- there's something in, in the spirit has died yes. and there there people don't have anything to believe in outside of this materialism or you know consumerism or you know this Instant gratification. There, there's nothing driving people towards something that's meaningful, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I think that's why people like Jordan Peterson have taken off um, um, uh, so uh, so incredibly. And of course, the people that we've been talking about before hate his guts for that. Yeah. But um, th- there's something deeply, deeply uh, uh, amiss, and I would say I, I never use this word, but even evil mm, that is um, That is that seems to be driving things and seems to have emerged, but there's like this spiritual absence or just this lack of something there. And I feel like, especially for black people, Mm. um, it, it, it just feels very prominent. And I feel like, again, it's being driven out of them by the, by these ideological, uh, concepts that that are telling them that they're, they're worthless and they're nothing and, um, that uh, their lives are meant to be, brief, full of strife, Mm. um, full of of struggle and and pain. And like you said, rage, you know, you can't, you can't live a life angry all the time, you you know, you can't, and if you're angry, or if you're afraid, um, you're you're missing out on all the, the things that make life meaningful. And I feel like we don't know what life means anymore we don't value it and that's why one of the reasons you know i mean i was working i know i'm, I'm talking a lot but no no it's fine um, I'm, I'm so intrigued well one of my i mean one of my first jobs i was working at mcdonald's um mm. down in, in virginia and i remember um one of my co-workers was talking about a party he had been to uh over the weekend and he talked about how a guy i mean it's the classic it's almost a cliche scenario but this guy stepped on his shoes and, and he thought and he just casually said it you know and he's talking at work about this he's like you know yeah man I mean, he stepped on my shoe, but I thought about shooting him. But you know, I wasn't gonna <laughs> shoot him. But da, da, da. just, just like saying, like you know, I was at the store. I was gonna get the Skittles. Then I got. The <laughs> the but what the, the 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 complete and this was this was the 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 mid nineties, bro. So this mm. is this is a long time, and you know, and and Cornel West writes about this in and race matters about this nihilism, mm. this sense of 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 um, not valuing themselves. And I think that's, again, that's what's so sinister about it because we are teaching them not to value themselves, whether, whether it be through the music that we, that we ingest or, you know, the, the education quote unquote that we receive the images on the news, you know, it's, there's this constant messaging from the Democrats as well is, is that your life actually doesn't mean anything and you don't mean anything because you are black and it's not like you said. It's not the Klan that's saying this. No, it's other. It's well, it's it's you know supposed anti-racist, but it's also other Black people and elite Black people that are saying this as well. Yes, and and it's but, the craziest thing. And um, but it's it's been highly effective, and that that's where I that's where I be get, get, get kind of um, down about this stuff. Man, there was so much there,
1: dude. I know. I kept so talking. No, no, no. It's good, man. It, it's so interesting, man. It's so interesting, especially because you know when I first followed you on Twitter. I remember you had um, liberal and atheist specifically in your bio. And so it was interesting because I I saw that and I was like, okay, like, so we're, I'm like more conservative and I'm, you know, Christian. And so I've I've been, I've followed you on Twitter now for like, I don't know, I think over a year and I've seen, I don't know how conscious of it, like you are even in terms of what you're putting out there, but like, I've seen like a shift. Right, I've seen a certain shift, and I'm like, no, oh, that's that's really interesting here. Ah, oh, man, there's so many things I don't even know where to begin. One part, one part of it, though, I was going to make this point earlier. One thing that's really interesting, I think, is the concept of identity. Right, and this goes across a lot of the things we've been talking about, and even things we haven't. And I think this is people, people, people define themselves with certain labels, and people. Everybody has an identity. Um, some of it can come from yourself. Some of it comes from dint of birth. Some of it also comes from what other people cast onto you or what society casts onto you. And I think that when it comes to identity, I mean, we, we, you know, we all, uh, you know, I think both of us are quite vocal critics of what we call identity politics. But identity is so powerful because if you... Criticize or say something about something that someone considers part of their identity, they get offended at best or very angry and hostile at worst. All right. A lot of people do not separate themselves from the identity. So, for example, I'm a Christian, right? So I believe in Christianity. But if someone criticizes Christianity, or doesn't believe in it or makes a joke about it, et cetera. I do not deem that as a direct personal attack Mm -hmm. on me as a person. I can separate the idea of Christianity from myself as a human being. And I think same with, same with anything political, right? So if someone is a staunch Democrat or a staunch Republican, and they really, really, you know, the type they really identify with that label, Mm -hmm. then Number 1 they they stop thinking because they have to just go with the party line and they have to go with whatever they're sort of supposed to believe. They stop being free thinkers. But also if you make a criticism of their candidate or their 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 politician or um the the party itself etcetera, they get very very offended, very very angry, very hostile. And I think something that's interesting and this has happened with, you know, I'd say both a lot of black people, certainly in the USA, and it's it's more understandable there given the history, but it's not that dissimilar in the UK and in Europe where part of the black identity is sort of, I don't think it is, but it's, it's been projected and people have been made to believe that it's about, it's about pain. It's about struggle. Mm-hmm. It's about racism. It's about, right? And And as a result, when you question certain things, if you say you don't believe in white privilege or if you say you don't believe that uh, black Americans are are oppressed or you're not sure about these notions of systemic and structural and uh, what's the other one, institutional racism and this notion that white supremacy is everywhere and it runs America and it's in every right. If you challenge these ideas, people view that. I think the reason people get angry is because they view it as an attack on their very Personhood. So they're so tightly wrapped in this narrative, right? They themselves see themselves as a victim or as a slightly lower class citizen or as someone who's supposed to be feeling. So when I or you or someone else actually comes with what is genuinely a positive, empowering message, I'm uh, uh, sorry, a powerful message and that one that's actually to uplift people, a, a certain number of people get angry right they get angry it's like I'm, and i'm like bro i'm on your side i'm telling yeah. you man like yeah. you can you can do what you want you can you can achieve whatever it is you out there no white man is going to stop you no no nobody is going to stop you man like if you got the talent you got the hustle you got the grind like go out there and get it and there are millions and millions and millions of examples of people doing just that and you can see how it's worked for them um so i think that sort of identity thing is really what what happens and I think the, the sort of story uh, you mentioned Jordan Peterson earlier and I think that we all individually collectively I think people need to tell themselves better stories because the truth is and, and one thing you brought up earlier is that you know there's a kernel of truth to most things right so if someone is like wants to talk about the history of the USA or specifically right. the history of black Americans right yes there is we, we know the history from slavery uh, to Jim Crow and segregation to, um, you know, lynchings and the KKK and all this awful, awful, awful stuff. Right. It's true. And nobody is denying it's true. Like some people think like, oh, you know, those conservatives, they don't even believe in that slavery happened. Like, There's no conservative who doesn't believe that slavery happened. Right? Everyone acknowledges it. But number one, the past is immutable. And number two, it's like, OK, well, what is the story that you derive from this to Mm -hmm. me as a non, as a black person who is not a black American, my personal view of the so-called sort of black American story to me is one of triumph, right? It's one of triumph. It's one of like, man, like people's ancestors went through this and they went through that and they went and look at them now. Right? Like I'm originally from Nigeria, right? Black Americans make up. I don't know. 5% of the global black population, maybe, maybe less, you know, three, 4%, but these are the most successful, most wealthy, have the most opportunities of all, not not just black people on the planet, but more than most people on the planet. And I think people don't understand that, right? People are so stuck on this narrative and I'm like, yeah, that can be true, but this is also true. And which of these stories is more (laughs) empowering?
2: Well, I you know just cut in really quickly. I and I, I made this point to a um to a to a, progress, to a progressive white woman mm-hmm. about Nigerians, um and uh, and and their success, uh, you know, just just in America. And she immediately shot back with, "Well, they haven't been colonized, so there's always some defense. yeah we have there's yeah, all." We were. Nigeria you know, was colonized. Why, why do they speak English in Nigeria? Because it was colonized. <laughs> they, but there's there's never there. Ha, there always has to be some excuse. And in a way, it's actually very narcissistic because yes. what the, what they're actually saying is, um, you know, well, they're only successful because we the whites uh, never did anything it's <laughs> not, bad, it's, it's, bad. It's not even correct. Yeah. That's why it's funny. Well, you know, it, but it's, yeah. it's it's on top of that. It's like it's so it's 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 white people's fault if we aren't successful, but at the same time, if we if we are successful, then it's because white people think that we're safe. You know, it's always mm. around uh, um, this idea of of white people. But yeah, I mean, I I agree because um, with this idea that it is a story of triumph. I mean, I mm. I, I really can't imagine someone like Harriet Tubman or Frederick Douglass uh, um, complaining about microaggressions. You know, I it, and. We we've been through so much, and and like I said before, you know, I stand on the shoulders of giants, and um, it, it, to me, it just it's very insulting to that whole legacy if I'm just focusing on this one aspect of of ourselves and, and how we were uh, kept in chains and how we were beaten down. Because yeah, we were, and then what happened? We came out uh-huh. of that. We came mm-hmm. out of that and then, you know, Reconstruction era, then they clamped back down on it. Then we had Jim Crow. But then we came out of Jim Crow mm-hmm. and, you know, we had all these struggles in the 1950s and 60s. Although even that now, that whole narrative, I'm beginning to <clears throat> to question. I'm reading this book. <laughs> I know we've been on for a while, but there's a guy mm-hmm. named named, uh, named Manning Johnson who wrote a book called Color, um, Communism and Common Sense. Mm mm-hmm. I believe it was published sometime in the 50s. Now, what's interesting and again, like like I said before, I'm very I'm always fascinated by people who made a transformation similar to the one that that, that I made in, internally and similar to how Thomas Sowell, you know, was a, a, a diehard Marxist. And then, you know, he changed his mind. Uh, Manning Johnson was somebody and, and, you know, and your viewers can go look up. Um, he has a farewell speech. You can find it on YouTube and tell me if the things that he was saying back in 1954, I think it was, don't mirror a lot of, you know, the activism and things that you see today. But what's interesting about Johnson is that he was a devout communist for Mm. 10 years. I mean, he's writing about how he was meeting with top officials from the Kremlin and the KGB. And, um, but he got out of it once he saw that they had very little value for human life very little value for the truth and i was doing a show back in 2012 uh, based on this event in Scottsboro Alabama where these nine black kids boys were falsely accused of sexual assault by these two white women mm. and you know this is 1930s Alabama deep south and so they were basically sentenced to death you know it was a show trial and everything even one of the white women even recanted her story it didn't matter but what I learned in the course of my research, and it meant nothing to me back then, but um, the Communist Party actually took a very keen interest in the the race issues of America. And the lawyer that they sent to—I um, think Liebowitz was his name—the lawyer they sent to defend the Scottsboro boys, which is kind of funny. He was Jewish, so he was almost hated as much as the black people down there. But um, you know, he was sent by the Communist Party. So the 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 inter the intertwining of marxist ideology and social justice or civil rights um, um you know mythology or legend i i i don't know if that is a uh a realm that's been explored enough but it also makes me sort of take a step back um and say you know well what what have i been told that's actually true and what have i been told about that whole era that is that that is false and how much of that agitation that we saw in in the mid 20th century in america which i think there are definitely echoes um to it uh, as far as what's going on today um you know is this history is this history repeating itself because when you read the work of someone like a thomas and he talks about well look even though there was state um state imposed segregation you know blacks were actually moving up into the middle class they were developing themselves and you know and and then this unrest happened and then you know so i i i i I'm, I'm i'm sort of like uh, maybe i have to re rethink um what's what, what what my ideas are about about our story but yeah um you know that's sort of a departure from this idea that uh, you know again like like you said you 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 my whole goal is to say no you are you are so much more powerful than you are being led to believe and I don't care. That's that's what's so sexy about being in Atlanta right now. Atlanta. I mean, you got from, Atlanta, Atlanta's dope. I went there in 2019. Man, I mean, it's it, 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 like I, I'm trying not to curse, but you know, I was going to talk an n bomb, but like, I mean, some some Atlantans are crazy. Let's yeah. let's get that out the way. But the hustle down here is so strong. The energy is so powerful, and so palpable. From illustrators, singers, rappers to to lawyers and architects. You know, all these entrepreneurs. Everybody. I mean, people are down here like hustling and and making lives for themselves, and uh, it's a really really incredible thing to see. So when I see these other people who have these Marxist ideas about, you know, well we need uh, uh, we, we need more uh, socialism or whatever, I'm like, dude, come down to Atlanta and yep. tor- and tell that to to these black people, to these uh, black folks down here, because I'll, they ain't trying to hear that. They are not mm. trying to hear that. You know what I mean? And but it's weird because again we have this um going back to this sort of ideological slavery there's still this idea I, I do think in the conversations that i've had down here there is more of a sense that perhaps or a growing sense that maybe the democrats are part of the problem interesting um our our, our mayor uh, uh keisha uh, lance bottoms i call i just call her mayor keisha because it's funny to me but um There's a really popular Instagram account called ATL Scoop, where they kind of they report all the stuff that the news doesn't. And it's it's no exaggeration. There's so many videos on there. It's just carjackings, carjackings, shootings, all the stuff is happening. And so uh, Mayor Keisha recently announced that she's not seeking reelection. And there were so many comments that were just like, thank you bye keisha they oh, well. like they're they're done with it so interesting. i think there's more of a more of a heterodox kind of ideology uh down here even though there's still a lot of loyalty to the democrats at the same mm-hmm. time you know I, I i think that that black people down here at least are more in tune with what's in their best interest that's because so
1: interesting man people Do you know, don't
2: want to be people don't want to have their cars jacked <laughs> that that's so interesting man because
1: i was in atlanta in um October, 2019, I was there for two weeks for the first time I'd ever been there. And I was at, uh, do you know, a three C festival, big hip hop, big hip hop festival and conference. It's one of the biggest hip hop festival and conferences in the UK. It runs, sorry, in the USA, it runs for four days in Atlanta. Um, so, you know, I saw like TI two chains, Charlemagne, the God, like I saw, I saw a lot of people there. Um, but what was really interesting, um, two things actually. So of course this is during the Trump presidency. And the first one, so I was obviously, you know, meeting tons of people, going out for lunch, you know, having conversations, et cetera. And the first thing is that I got recognized by a lot of people there. And do you know what they recognized me from? Hey, I saw you on the Ben Shapiro show.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: And I saw you on the Candace Owens show. Mm -hmm, mm Hmm. Okay. So I was surprised by the number of people who recognized me there. From those two shows, I'm there and someone's like, hey, are you Zuby? I'm like, yeah, there's like, you know, sometimes the voice comes down a little They're like, yeah, I saw saw you on the Ben Shapiro show, you know, and this is like a black guy from, you know, a black guy from Atlanta or, you know, there were people there from Alabama, there were people from all over the the U.S., right? But I was kind of like, man, that's interesting, right? Like, you know, because people imagine, oh, everyone who watches Ben Shapiro is like a certain demographic or whatever. And I'm here in Atlanta at a hip hop conference and people are telling me they saw me on the Candace Owens show and the Ben Shapiro show. I think More people said those two than the Joe Rogan one as well. And Joe Rogan is a bigger show. Mm. So I was like, this is interesting. And then when we were just going out for lunch and dinner and stuff, you know, we were having conversations. You talk about what's going on in the world, whatever. And, you know, I met a few people who were like, you know, explicitly pro- pro-Trump. But I was expecting a lot of like TDS. I was expecting a lot of Trump derangement right. syndrome. But yeah. a lot of people were I, – I was impressed by how balanced people were. Most people were just like, yeah, you know, he did this thing that's good. He did that that's good. Like, I don't like this part. It wasn't just like what because I'm coming from um prior to this a few weeks before I was in Los Angeles and San Francisco,
0: mm. San
1: Francisco, especially Francisco, dude, but yeah, <laughs> I was getting in arguments with absolute strangers because of Trump. I'm in an Uber and I end up like having arguments with the driver I'm in the airport I'm I'm not even bringing him into the conversations and people are just like so anti Trump and I was like wow okay and then oh also in Atlanta that was the first place I saw a maga hat <laughs> really okay. yes I saw someone wearing one in uh in Atlanta airport and then he got on the train and I was kind of watching this guy I was like keeping an eye on I was like oh wow is anything going to pop off and it was so funny I was on um I was on a what's it called? There's like a Metro there, right?
2: Yeah. It's, it's yeah. The motor. I on,
1: yeah. I was on him. I was on, I was on that. And there was a white guy, older white guy with a, with a Trump hat on. And he was standing next to a, a 20 something year old black girl who was wearing an RIP pimp C t-shirt. Hmm. And I'm there watching like, Ooh, is something going yeah. <laughs> right, to yeah. I was like, is something going and I'm just I'm like, like no. sh- <laughs> <laughs> I was just there, like, oh boy, like, and that, no, everyone was like, chill or whatever, because you know, I've seen these videos again. This is 2019, so. I'm, I've seen videos on Twitter of people, you know, getting assaulted for wearing MAGA hats or having them yeah, pulled yeah. off them in New York or whatever. So I'm just there like, okay, this is interesting. And I'm talking to my Republican Trump supporting friends and they're like, yeah, I've got a hat, but I don't wear it in public because I don't want to get attacked or whatever. And that's just I'm just there in Atlanta. I was like, wow, I wasn't expecting that in Atlanta would be the place where I'm sort of seeing this. So it was all of that was just super interesting to me. It was just really eye-opening. And I was like, okay, that's that's dope. There's way more intellectual diversity
2: and genuine tolerance than it may seem well and here's the thing you know it's funny you talk about getting into arguments um with your uber drivers in in san francisco (laughs) i've literally had uber drivers here black guys use the term sjw like they they, they literally (laughs) say that and and it's funny because again uh, like like you alluded to I mean, you know, I spent 15 years in New York City and, you know, they think that they are the center of the universe and that everyone else is dumber than they are. Mm. Um, I think during the course of this pandemic, we've learned otherwise. But uh, they but they have this idea in their heads that everybody who lives down south, it's a bunch of rednecks and hicks who don't know anything. But they don't understand that. I I think that black people tend to be more socially conservative than Mm. than they really understand. But just like you said, there is a lot more variety of opinion. uh at, down here and i mean again just talking to all different kinds of people it's and it's not that people are um you know it, it's not this this typical idea that these people who i guess work for the new york times or who work in entertainment have of mm. of, of like these sort of knuckle dragging uh snaggle-toothed uh low iq individuals man i mean it's it's a lot of i mean there's yeah, I mean, look, if, if you're a, if you're a successful business person or whatever, I mean, you're going to know about taxes. You might have different ideas, uh, you know, about the economy than somebody who like just isn't in that world. And again, when you have a city like this where there's so many people who are hustling about so many different things and where, you know, it's a 56 percent black population. We have mm. you know, we just we don't see things in quite the same way, uh, you know, as as a white progressive in in New York is going to see them. And, um you know, so but they have no idea because they don't really travel outside of those about outside of those circles. They, they never had a, a conversation with somebody who um, who supports uh, who support who supported Trump, who had reasonable, uh, um, reasonable opinions about why they did so. And, and yeah. I mean, you know, it's sort of this is sort of a digression too. the first person who ever told me it was back when I was doing that show in Connecticut. The first person who ever told me that he was going to vote for Donald Trump was a black barber. Out in Connect. Okay. <laughs> Right. So he had, so he owned multiple businesses, yeah. uh, you know, very smart, savvy guy. But he was basically like, and I'd heard this complaint about Barack Obama's administration, you know, there's so many regulations in the way that we can't even, you know, create our, our businesses. Mm-hmm. And, but this, this dude, you know, he's like, give me a lineup or whatever. He's like, man, Trump. He going to make it so we can make some money, man. Yeah. <laughs> and his friend was sitting, you know, his friend, his other his black friend was sitting there in a the chair just just nodding away. Yeah. And then it was funny because then I would go to the YMCA and work out and there'd be white guys that were there. You know what they were talking about? Jobs in the economy. Same thing. And um, so right away, I was like, there's something else going on here. Mm-hmm. Whatever the news is saying, you know, th- there's something bigger that's at play here because there are people. And it's, it's really heartening when you think about it, because there are people who are outside of that, that sphere, and they're just completely unfazed by this idea that, uh, oh, you know, Trump is a racist and, you know, and, and white supremacy, this, they're, they're, they're much, much more practical. And I think that's what it is. They're, they're less theoretical, and they're much more practical and pragmatic about things. And, and just um, less, and less emotional, you know, and less emotional about stuff.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so interesting with Trump, because he's, I've never seen someone get so many people all over the world in their feelings, just in their feelings, right? Where uh, it's so odd to me. Like there are people I know who are like on almost any topic, they're calm, rational, fair. You mentioned Trump and <gasps> it, 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 it's it's all feelings. Yeah, it's yeah. all feelings. And I'm just like, yeah, wait, okay. Like, okay, I can understand. Like I can totally understand not liking the way he talks and his demeanor and some of the things he's a brash New Yorker. Like, and number one, I'm like, he's always been like that. Right. Exactly. Donald Trump, Donald Trump he's didn't always. just show up. Don, Donald Trump has <laughs> always been like that, man. He's been like that all the way through. And actually black Americans used to love him. Like he, there's so many hip hop songs. Praising I was going every song before yeah. 2015 that,
2: that, yeah. that references Trump, is all about how they want to be him.
1: Yeah. Jay-Z said, I'm the ghetto equivalent to Trump. Mac Miller made a whole song called Donald Trump. Uh, uh, Ray Stremmer had made a song called Up Like Trump. Like Trump has been mentioned by so many rappers. I saw that thing when he went on G-Unit Radio back with like 50 Cent. And, you know, they're all guests. Like t- they're there. Uh, he comes in the studio and they're so hype. Like Tony Yayo is like, yo, I'm with Donald Trump. Like, yo, like yo, teach me how to that. make money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it's just like, you know, the media just had this narrative. And he suddenly became, he suddenly became like this whole new this whole new character. And again, it was this alternate reality was created where Donald Trump was. And and you saw, I mean, I'm maybe the most prominent example of someone who is otherwise sane, who just totally got taken by this is uh, Sam Harris, right? Like suddenly Donald Trump is an existential threat. He's comparable to Hitler. He's going to bring in the new, you know, the, the fourth Reich or something. He's a white supremacist. He's borderline. Not he, all of these things with, without justification by the way just just all these labels and things and i'm like whoa this is this is weird man you know i i can get not liking the guy and what was also weird about it is there are a lot of there are a lot of legitimate criticisms that could be made about donald trump or his presidency but most people don't even go with those they go with the or well, they'll just make things up, right? They'll dude, say, oh, he... I'm
2: like, dude, there's so much that you could say about him that, yeah. that, that you criticize. Why? You don't have to make anything up. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't people, have going, to. The people going to the Ru- the Russia, you know, the whole Russia thing. I'm like, dude,
1: that whole thing was a conspiracy theory. This whole, he's a Russian asset. They're pushing that on CNN. They're pushing that out on the news. You know, I'm talking to people and they're like, yeah, but, you know, he was installed by Russia or whatever. And now the people saying that are sort of freaking out about the fact that some people thought this most recent re- re- election wasn't a lot legitimate. And I don't know, man, it's, um, it's all really weird, but bro, yo, we, we can talk for, you're, you're, you're one of those people like we, we can talk forever. <laughs> we'll definitely get you back on the podcast again, but, um, w- do you have anything
2: coming up that you want people to know about or where can they check you out online? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Just, just find me on Twitter. I'm at Clifton A Duncan on Instagram. I'm Clifton Duncan online and please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, just my first and last name, Clifton Duncan. I want to m- upload more entertainment focused uh, content uh, to there. I also have a sub stack called Musings from the Apocalypse. Nice. Um, you know, you, you, can sign up for free there right now. I do, I want to do more writing. Just, you know, I, I got a podcast coming soon of my own. Um, I just have to, uh, uh get myself in gear. <laughs> and 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 do it but just follow me and uh and on all those platforms and just you know uh say say hey and um you know be be friendly <laughs> awesome man
1: no doubt bro so good to talk to you at last um and yeah man all uh, excited to see where
2: this all goes hey man appreciate it